Because of the coronavirus epidemic and to respect social distancing guidelines, this episode of Civil Politics was recorded remotely over Zoom. Good evening and welcome to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow. I'm doing the show tonight with my good friends, Jamra and Sue. And hey, hi, guys. David. Hey there. <laughs> and we are joined tonight by a second candidate for the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office, uh, Yvonne Gittleson. Um, and uh, Ms. Gittleson uh, is currently the uh, program, uh, Corrections Program Specialist uh, for the Massachusetts Department of Education. Uh, and uh, before that, uh, she at the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office, she was the education coordinator. Uh, she also has uh, 20 years of experience teaching high school, uh, mostly history, civics and other social sciences courses. And you even had a business uh, training dogs at one point. So I did. <laughs> I did. Um, and actually, one more thing I might add, I recently completed a fresh master's in leadership and management. OK, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah, I only got the one master, so you're ahead of me. Um, so uh, before we kick into things, just a, a few bit of uh, bits of housekeeping to keep track of here. Uh, first off, uh, 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 it is now if uh, this uh, election is we're, we're talking about the upcoming primary election. There is no uh, Republican candidate or other party candidate or not affiliated candidate. So uh, whoever wins the Democratic primary will effectively be running unopposed. And thus, uh, in effect, the primary in September is going to decide who is the Hampshire County Sheriff uh, come the new term. Uh, the uh, deadline to register to vote in that election has passed. So if you're a Massachusetts voter who isn't yet registered, I'm afraid, sorry, but please do register before the uh, November election because that's going to have a lot of important races. But for this, if you are registered, uh, the election itself will be September 6th. That's the day after Labor Day. So uh, it's coming up soon. And uh, obviously, we had uh, Sheriff KLA and the incumbent on last week. And uh, we have Ms. Gittleson this week. And uh, next week, there's going to be a debate of the three candidates when we would normally be recording. So we're just going to do our normal show and I'll just be talking more. Everybody just be excited about that. And um, then uh, I can't remember the name of the third candidate off the top of my head, but she will be joining us the Friday before uh, the last Friday in August uh, before Labor Day, uh, before the ele election. And so we'll have all three of the uh, candidates for the Democratic primary at that time. Um, we also, uh, you know, just a reminder to everybody, uh, Valley Free Radio is a small community nonprofit uh, uh, media company. Uh, you know, we're all volunteers. Uh, we exist entirely by uh, uh, donations from listeners and other supporters. Uh, everybody who uh, is on the air or helps at the station is doing it just because we want to contribute to our community. And... Uh, Valley Free Radio is a 501c3, and it takes no position on any political race or candidate for any kind of office. 
Um, we try to be even-handed on the show, um, despite my crazy lefty tendencies. Um, but you know, so we're, we're that's why we try to have all the candidates on. So um, just to let you know what, what's going on with that. And uh, finally, if you have questions or comments or you want to just give us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. And it's uh, contact at civilpoliticsradio.com is the email, at civilpoliticsfm on Twitter or facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio. Uh, civilpoliticsradio.com is our actual website, and that's got supplemental episodes of the show, recordings of previous interviews. So if you want to check out uh, interviews with other candidates we've done, like uh, uh, uh Tanisha Sullivan or uh, Rayla, um, crap, Thomas. Campbell. 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 Sorry, Rayla Campbell. I apologize. Uh, uh, two candidates who are running for the Secretary of State's office. We had them on earlier this year. Mr. Uh, Galvin uh, hasn't gotten back to us somehow. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> anyway, uh, that's that's the prelude. So let's get into uh, talking to uh, Yvonne Gittleson about why she wants to be the Hampshire County Sheriff. So um, Mr. Kaline's been doing the job for a few years uh, and, uh, you know, nothing's burned down or caught fire that I'm aware of. Um, so uh, you were working there for four years uh, and you have another job right now at a, you know, corrections program specialist for the entire state at the Department of Ed. Uh, that seems pretty important. Um, why do you want to leave that important job to take this local job here in Hampshire County? That's a great question. And Thank you. I thought I, of it myself. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. All right. I'll shut up and let you talk. Sorry. <laughs> um, I really thought long and hard about this and you're exactly right. I do have a great, a great job. It's, it's a really interesting gig in the sense that I do get to go all around the state and see all the different facilities both at the county level and at the state prison level, and also at the DYS, the uh, Department of Youth, Youth Services level. So it is pretty interesting, and I meet quite a cast of uh, characters and see a really interesting variety of facilities, and I'm able to see what others can do. And it was partly because of that experience and seeing what's possible elsewhere and realizing how much more we could do here in Hampshire County. And I had that feeling while I was at the facility at, in Hampshire that more could be done and it could be done a lot better. Um, I think it's remarkable, and I know it's gotten a lot of people's attention, that at the start of this race, three people stepped up who previously worked under Sheriff Kaylane, all of whom were saying, I think I can do this job better than he can. And coming from three different perspectives, there was someone coming from security. He has since dropped out. There is still uh, um, Nurse Sapita, who is coming from the medical perspective and me coming from the education and programming perspective. And what I wanna do is I wanna bring the best that we can back to Hampshire County and really make our facility flourish in a variety of ways. In particular, because I'm the educator in the group. Uh -huh. One thing that I wanna do is I want to make the Hampshire facility the flagship for correctional education, because education is the only thing we know that is proven to reduce recidivism. 
Correctional education, education at any level during custody reduces recidivism by 43%. When you add vocational education and training, it drops to about 28%. When you add higher education to the mix, it drops to about the single digits. So I've reached out and I've worked with some folks at UMass in the prison education initiative group. And what we wanna do is we wanna launch a statewide virtual college program. And I want the home base to be at Hampshire County. So in the same way that UMass is the flagship campus of the UMass system, UMass Amherst is, I want Hampshire County facility, the jail, to be the flagship for correctional education for the state. And we want to launch a virtual college program where any incarcerated person could start inside and because it's virtual could finish on the outside. Oh, okay. And that's not the case right now. That is not the case right now. That does not exist. And <clears throat> so it, uh, it, we, we have an agreement from the UMass provost to offer at least the very first course for free at no cost to incarcerated students, no cost to any of the facilities. And well, that's great. And uh, also, so currently, if I were incarcerated uh, uh, and I were taking classes, you know, at say at UMass remotely or something, would those credits transfer? I mean, would I just have like a normal transcript or would it be like, yeah, sorry, this is not the same thing. These are, you know. It would be 100% a regular transcript. Well, is that, well, is that the case now or is that what you want under your program? It is what we would want under launching this program. So it is, it's not the case now. It is not the case now. Those courses only exist on a one-off sort of basis. So historically, Amherst College has offered a course here and there at the Hampshire County facility. Um, you, While I was the education coordinator, UMass offered a couple of courses, one in social justice journalism, a couple mm -hmm. others in math, and we want to expand that significantly. Mm, okay, excellent. So, um, well, all right. What, um, what do you see as the, the biggest obstacle to getting that done? I mean, other than, you know, you're not the sheriff and and it's your big priority and it's not necessarily Mr. K. Lane's if he were to stay in the in the job. But I mean, you know, beyond the wanting to do it obstacle, <laughs> what 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 what's the what's the, the big what are the big hurdles? It re honestly, there really no. are not that many, which okay. surprises people. It wouldn't be that difficult to do. Obviously, every facility would have to have the appropriate infrastructure, sufficient hardware for students to be able to engage virtually, uh, sufficient bandwidth to be mm -hmm. able to carry the signal. Um, but the idea behind it is that by offering a course simultaneously around the state, even if an incarcerated individual were moved from one facility to another, he or she could finish at wherever they were moved to, or if they were released, or if they finished their sentence, meaning that their presence inside a facility would not be necessary in order to complete a course. And that used to be an obstacle. It, so it used to only be available, college 
programming was only available to those who were sentenced, meaning someone who was pretrial could not participate. So you had to be sentenced and you had to be sentenced for long enough to be able to finish a semester. So now this would no longer be the issue. That sounds like a perverse incentive system there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, okay. Can I ask a question? Yeah, I was going to say, Sue, go ahead. I was just going to um, mention, you said something about the infrastructure at Hampshire yes. County House of Corrections. And um, I went to the debate and I heard a lot about um, the lack of in infrastructure at the facility out here. Correct. Correct. So shall I assume that your question is, how would Hampshire do it since we were talking about yeah, the, lack of <laughs> the lack of in infrastructure there? That sounds All like right. a good question to answer anyways. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd be happy <laughs> to. So, the, thank, thank you for so, fixing my question. <laughs> sure, not, not a problem. So uh, I can tell you that before I left, hardware was not the issue. We had sufficient laptops because I made sure of that. Um, we, we had over two dozen laptops that were purchased shortly before I left. The problem was bandwidth. And when you hear the other challenger talk about how ridiculous it is that we have typewriters at the Hampshire County facility, and they do still exist. I've, we've all seen the typewriters. They, it's, it's like a museum over there. Um, but one question I would pose to Mr. Kaylane if he were in the room is, you know, he talks a lot about how he um, facilitated the rehabilitation of the housing units, these uh, areas called the mods. Mm -hmm. While that was happening, no attention was paid to wiring the facility or making it equipped with sufficient bandwidth that those rooms could be used by students for exactly what I'm talking about. So now we would have to go back and retrofit. Um, however, even having said that, even that's not an obstacle because as we all now know, we can use mobile hotspots. We can use MiFi kinds of systems. We can much more easily do this. You know, there were a couple of silver, silver linings that came about with COVID and this was one of them. We learned how to really pivot with regard to technology. So we can do this it, and it would not be difficult. It would just be a matter of bringing the signal into where the students need to be. And in the education program areas, the signal is possible to be brought in there. So what about uh, funding? Uh, you know, the uh, uh, Hampshire County budget is uh, not, well, actually, one of the things I noticed in a questionnaire I, 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 I read, you talked about how the Hampshire County budgets, uh, uh, you, you say it's deficient compared to other county sheriff's uh, budgets. Um, but Very I mean, much so. Okay, so get to that in a second. But sure. um, what funding would be required from this? Because I mean, this this certainly sounds like something it's worth spending public money on. But yep. would you not need to go to the state house and say we need budget to, you know, I mean, like is UMass just gonna gonna make this happen and it's gonna come out of their budget? Because, I mean, and, you know, UMass obviously is also going to the state and getting money. And so just how how much is this actually going to wind up costing the taxpayer? Or is this just the kind of thing it's like just 
it's all happening anyway. So we just sort of say plus one and then, uh, you know, like, hey, we've got the feed down at the county jail as well. So that's all the course is already being taught and, and live streamed at UMass. So there's almost no extra additional cost. Correct. You oh, pretty okay. much summed it, summed it up. There yeah. really pretty much <laughs> is no additional cost. These are already faculty members who are on staff who are very committed to prison education. Uh, and UMass is not the only system. You've probably been aware of the Bard Prison Initiative. There's another group that is based out of MIT called the Education uh, Justice Initiative and uh, TEJI, T-E-J-I. And they do some great work, usually with the DOC system, the state prison system, where they've got access to students for longer periods of time. So this is not a new idea. It's happening in other places. It's certainly happening around the country. We're a little slow to the table, to be perfectly honest. And mm. I think we can do some great things for not a lot of money at all. We've got the folks who are already providing these courses at UMass. They very much want to work with incarcerated students. I would love for the Hampshire County facility to be the home base for it. I think we can do this with not a whole lot of money. It would not require much in the way of jail staff to oversee. There's already jail staff there in the education department. So are there other counties doing similar things like that here in Massachusetts? And also follow up, uh, have you talked to the cor corrections program specialist at the Department of Ed about setting this up, you know, through that office or, you know, through another county? We did. I know, smart ass question, but, you know, it is. It, it is. And I like smart. Ass, I, well, I, I won't say it, but you can. I do like smart questions. I was going to say smart Alec questions. Um, I do like those. And we did take a look at it and uh, we did bring it to the Department of Education. We couldn't quite find, and I would imagine that the Department of Education will partner in because there is already a significant um, unit at the Department of Education called Adult Community Learning Services. But there is also a Department of Higher Ed. And so here's where we were in some difficulty. We couldn't quite find the perfect home for it because hmm. adult community learning services usually deals with adults who need to um, complete a high school equivalency. And this doesn't quite fit that. This would be at the college level. But yet we also do provide some programming for those who make a transitions to college leap from the high school equivalency level to college. But yet there's also another division of higher education and it doesn't quite fit there. My own personal opinion is that education for incarcerated students needs to come through the prison gate and not the college gate, right? Hmm. Needs to come through the prison, the prison system first because that's where you really need to have permission. I can tell you in broaching this subject with the other correctional facilities, they're pretty excited about it. Mm -hmm. They want to see it happen and they want to join in. Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds good. <clears throat> 
So, um, so, but, so if I understood correctly, basically you're saying like, it's not that it couldn't possibly be done any other way, but you think the best, most effective way in part working with the state bureaucracies that currently exist would be to, to center it in the, in, in an actual, uh, prison, in actual corrections. Sure. Uh, just so, to give okay. it a home base and just to get it launched. Okay. So this is kind of where I bring in a little bit of my entrepreneurial spirit here, which is sometimes you just do it. You just make it happen, right? All right. You just start somewhere, even if you start small, and then the program builds and grows. And that's, I'm a big believer in, you know, nano entrepreneurship. And sometimes you just, let's start with one course and launch it system-wide, make it available to all the correctional facilities. And then we'll, next semester, we'll add another course and we'll go from there. Makes sense. All right, Sue, you had a question. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Uh, actually, she kind of answered it, but um, sometimes when you change an organization, uh, you need a champion. And you're saying that the champion really needs to be in the prison and correctional side so that the education folks aren't driving it exactly from the department of, I see what you're saying is sort of the champion, you know, champions and stakeholders that you're saying it needs a champion within the prison systems. Exactly. Well, it could come, it could come from the department of education, but honestly, there's usually some reluctance on the part of other state agencies to tread into the correctional world because usually this is the purview of the sheriffs and they're they're fairly proprietary about their facilities and about what happens in their counties and I think we can understand why as they should be but uh, this is a yep. great project for a sheriff to undertake and I would love to do this I want to go back to the sheriff prior to Mr. Kaelane uh Sheriff Garvey who was himself an educator and in Hamden, the previous sheriff prior to Sheriff Kochi was a social worker. So we have some really good role models for folks who were not coming from the correctional perspective or the law enforcement perspective. They were coming from the education or even the social work programming side. And they really had a very, very different vision for what corrections could be. And I want to bring it back in that model because the legislature has also told us that that's the direction that they want corrections to evolve toward. The Hamden County Sheriff, was that Ash? That was Ash. Yes. Ash. Oh yeah, Sheriff, I remember Sheriff him. Michael Ash. Both he and Sheriff Garvey were legendary and they were, they both served at roughly the same time and retired at the same time. And they really took a very, very different perspective toward corrections. And that's why I want to bring it back in that realm and think differently and innovatively about what corrections really could be. Because when you think about the term, what does it mean to correct, right? When we think about somebody who lands in custody, we think of someone who needs to correct course. And that's an educator's role is to shepherd that person in that course correction. Huh. I thought the point of putting people in prison was to punish them and make them suffer. It used to That's be my party. Come on, Sue. If you take, if you take and save my lines right? for me, you know. Uh, yeah, lock them up and throw away the key. Yeah, yeah. I'm all for it. Right. Now that's the old that's the old model of custodial warehousing. Now our goal is 
rehabilitation. And in fact, honestly, my goal is prevention. I would like to really get at the recidivism piece of it. And we know that education is the only thing proven to have an effect on that. I'd like to prevent people from ever coming back to custody ever again. We know that every dollar spent in education during custody saves four to five dollars down the road in future reincarceration costs. Hmm. So the part of me that's the tightwad taxpayer, even if you don't like the idea of people who have committed crimes getting education, and if you really hate the idea of people in custody getting college education, then think about it from the point of view of saving yourself some taxpayer dollars and spending that money somewhere else. I I'm all in favor of both, actually. I like helping people and I also like saving money. So, or I mean, you know, reducing crime shot. in general. Well, right. Sure. You know. So, if we can prevent them from coming back to jail because they didn't <laughs> commit another crime, isn't that a win, 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 win situation? They haven't victimized anybody else again. They're not costing us. And by the way, the cost to keep someone in the Hampshire County Jail for a year right now is somewhere in the neighborhood of ballpark about $125,000 a year. Jesus. Yep. Wow. So, yep. So, like a little over a thousand, a little over $10,000 a month. Yep. Per inmate. Yep. Can wow. we just, can we just yep. give the inmates that money? Is that. <laughs> Right. Can we just give them like ten thousand dollars and like well <laughs> tell them to behave the, themselves? Well, the I mean, part of the part of me, wouldn't that be nice? I wish that would work. The part of me that's the diehard educator. $10, Is that <laughs> dude, you gotta commit a crime or? first. Have you considered have you, have you considered like some kind of financial scam or whatever, you know? Maybe yes. investment <laughs> banking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> three three squares and a and a warm cell doesn't sound yeah. too bad if you're on the street. I gotta say, it's true. Uh, come on, Sue, get with the lingo. It's three hots and a cot, you know. Like <laughs> Mike has been the watching the wire lately. It's apparently. the 1930s, you know. We gotta <laughs> wait. No, three hots and a cot. Yeah. Well, you know, healthcare has this uh, a problem on cold winter nights. There's all sorts of folks yep. that um, so, suddenly need to be seen in the emergency room, and they hang out, you know for a day or two, depending on what's available, but you really understand it. And the emergency room staff don't want to put them out in the cold either because they know that they're just on the street. Absolutely. And that's also true in corrections where people come, you know, in the Northeast come November, commit crimes sufficient to get themselves tucked away for the cold winter months. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's like an old O. Oh. Henry story. I remember yep. reading in junior high. I can't remember what it's. Yep. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called usually, right now. Usually, the usually the census of people in custody increases during the winter months in in uh, colder climates. Well, I'd certainly prefer prison to freezing to death. So yes, uh, I think I think we can yeah. agree on that. And I actually I'm noticing that we are right at the halfway point. So we're going to take a short break, play some PSAs, promos, and station IDs, and we'll be back with Yvonne Gittleson. Uh, candidate for the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office uh, in the second half. And uh, we'll kick off with you. You made some statements about uh, about the the funding for the office and its budget. So that I think that's a good place to start. But we're going to we're going to take our little break right now. Uh, you're listening to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Please don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres, and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in a CD or tape player. Each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps be not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's subculture music program, featuring new wave, post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXOJ, or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. The Forbes Library staff would like to remind you of the incredible resource that you have in your local public library. We have tens of thousands of books for you to check out, music CDs, movies, newspapers from around the region, the state, and the country. We have a wide variety of magazines and free computer and internet access every day. We also have our incredible reference services there to help you answer particularly vexing problems. All of this is free, locally available at 20 West Street in Northampton. So come by and check us out in person or at www.forbeslibrary.org or call 587-1011 for more information. to Evidence-Based Radio, Science and Skepticism from a Feminist and Socialist Perspective. Every week, we explore the interesting and important stories in science with a focus on the positive. Friday nights from 6 to 7 on Valley Free Radio, 103.3 FM, or at evidencebasedarada.com. That's 6 to 7 p.m. Fridays on Valley Free Radio. And we are back. This is Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm still Michael Dow, narcissist in chief and host. I'm joined by my usual companions, John Roberts and Sue Timberlake. Hi. And we have our special guest, Yvonne Gittleson, who is the current uh, corrections program specialist for the Massachusetts Department of Ed and one of three candidates for the Democratic nomination to be Hampshire County Sheriff. Uh, And since there is no other candidate outside the Democratic Party, the upcoming uh, primary on September 6th, the day after Labor Day, is basically going to decide the matter. So this is a very important uh, interview we're doing. Uh, We had the incumbent, Sheriff Kaylane, on last week. We'll have the third uh, challenger on in a couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, we're, we're doing that and we hope you'll, uh, pay attention and, uh, vote on September 6th, uh, you know, having considered, uh, what we've got our candidates to talk about. So, um, getting back to it, uh, uh, Yvonne, uh, we, uh, we were, I was asking you about, um, 
educational work uh, with a nonprofit that my ex-wife used to work for, the Literacy Project. And that's a whole other thing I don't want to get into. I was just curious about that for personal reasons. Um, but you mentioned something that's really interesting because I, I asked about, you know, uh, coordinating with the Literacy Project or having teaming up with them to offer classes. And you said, well, one of the you know, potential pitfalls with trying to do that is that every county sheriff has a tremendous amount of autonomy. Could you talk more about that? Like, why do they um, and and what are some of the well, what are the advantages and and problems that that causes? You know, because after all, you want to be one of them. So, you know, you will have all that power and autonomy. <laughs> so, you know, uh, please. Well, I think you're touching on, you know, one of the reasons that I did want to step up and run because I did want to have enough authority to be able to bring about some of these ideas and innovations and programs that I want to see happen in my own county. Um, it, it is difficult for any other outside agency to come into a correctional facility. The sheriff has complete authority about who comes in what kind of um, access a sheriff wants to allow to the outside. I want to pull back the curtain. And if you take a look at my campaign, I decided to focus on three principles, transparency, accountability, and community. And I started with transparency because once I started working at the sheriff's office, I realized that there was none virtually none. I didn't know any of this as just an average citizen in Hampshire County. I didn't know half of what went on inside. And I don't think that the average citizen knows anything about what goes on inside either. You will sometimes hear Mr. K. Elaine say something like, oh, I'm a, an open book and people can ask me anything. Here's the problem. The average citizen doesn't know what to ask because they don't know what's going on. They don't even know enough to know what they should be asking. And what they should be asking is a lot of different questions. Right now, among the questions they should be asking is why is there such a mass exodus of staff out of the Hampshire County Jail? Why are they having such difficulty holding on to staff, especially correctional officer staff? who are leaving in droves, leaving much faster than they can be replaced. Do, do you have, I mean, I know you're not actually the sheriff, so you don't have necessarily direct access to those numbers the way Mr. Kaylane would, but this is something we he didn't mention in our interview last week. He didn't talk about staffing problems or whatever. So what, um, you know, what, what kind of numbers can you give us so we have a I, better sense of the scope of the problem? I can give you what I would call some pretty good numbers which, uh, and it's important for listeners to understand that in order to challenge a sitting sheriff who is running for re-election, one must leave one's position at the facility. So both Ms. Cepeda and I- Is that a state I, law? It is, I think it's in the CMRs. I think it's in the regulations. Okay. And that's partially to prevent any sort of internal strife and disruption to the orderly running of the facility. As you can imagine, if both Ms. Cepeda and I were there and the three of us were in the facility and there's a sheriff and then two challengers internally, there would be some disruption, right? So, so I understand the reason behind it. I get that. 
But I wanted to bring that to your listeners' attention by way of underscoring how seriously any of the challengers took the idea of running for this sheriff's position. This was part of a much longer range plan for me. And this wasn't something I decided to do in January. This was something I had been thinking about for quite some time. And part of my reasoning for wanting to take this position at the state level was exactly to get a big picture, to get a statewide, you know, sort of drone level perspective on what's possible elsewhere at other facilities and bring it back to my county. I'm very, very proud of Hampshire County. I love this county. And I know that we can do a whole lot better in our correctional facility. And I think we need someone with a very, very different skill set than the one Mr. K. Elaine has brought to the Hampshire County facility for the last 44 years. That's how long he's been there. But and not as sheriff the whole time. Not as sheriff. He's only been sheriff for the last five and a half. But prior to that, he was the deputy. He was the number two under Sheriff Garvey. And he started as a correctional officer and he came up through the ranks of security. That's a very old school perspective at this point. And I think we're seeing the fruits of that old school perspective. One of the things that I think is a very, very fair criticism of Mr. K. Elaine is he really missed the whole technology revolution. And that's why the Hampshire County facility is in such dire straits technologically and is having to make up for lost time now. Well, you, you mentioned that earlier. So right. you said like there's a there's a, a developing a critical staffing shortage. Like yep. I said, can you give us some figures like, you know, sure. how many people have left? Do you know, you know, or how many people should be there and aren't? Yeah. You know. So right now I can tell you the total numbers. Okay. Uh, the total numbers are approximately 175 staff, but keep in mind that there are a couple of different offices. In addition to the main facility of the jail, there's also the Office of Civil Process. There's also the Office of Community Corrections. The regional lockup unit also has to be staffed, although that's on the main campus of the jail as well. Mm -hmm. There are folks who have to serve in the transportation unit who have to transport uh folks in custody back and forth to court or to other facilities, for right. example. Mm -hmm. So right now, um, approximately, if there's are, are a total of 175 total staff members, right? about a third are not security. By my own estimation, I believe the number of correctional officers is approximately 105. Right. Keep in mind that the facility has to be staffed 24-7, 365, over three shifts, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Operating operating continuously. Understood. Typically, a fully staffed daytime shift would be 18 officers. I can tell you that folks on the inside are saying that they are running short every shift every day and have been for quite some time. Anecdotally, I can tell you that very recently, you know, a half a dozen, uh, uh, excuse me, actually closer to a dozen folks have left in the pretty recent past and they're leaving faster than they can be replaced. 
So that's a problem. And when well, Mr. Uh, I'm just wondering, so sure. roughly speaking, if there are 175 employees right now uh, and you become sheriff, you win yes. the election, you're sheriff. Yep. How many, assuming your numbers are correct, how yep. many job vacancies do you have to have to fill with a without well a hiring spree basically to to fill up how many how many how many people do you have to hire in a hurry to to fix that roughly? it de- it depends um and and I'm sorry to be equivocal about this but among the things we could do to deal with the staffing shortage right now we probably could organize the folks in custody a little bit differently so that we could Get, well, save a bit on staffing well give me a minimum number then you'd need to sure. hire at least how many? I would want to hire a minimum of a dozen new officers and probably closer to two dozen new so officers. Like another, you'd, you'd want to bring the staffing levels up to 200 for the, for, um, the, for the, it's 175 now. So you'd want to hire about right. 25 more. Do keep in mind that there are folks who are probably within the parameters of retirement and because that's, you know, when you have that many staff people, there are always going to be people who are right. leaving. So you'd have to re- so, you'd have to replace them anyways. But in other words, right. like you think based on the uh, from where the levels are now, they need to hire. They need to increase relative to that, you know, accepting there's some coming and some going all the time uh, by an extra 25, which is what Officers. one in seven. Off, well, so that, but that's one in seven. And sure. But I mean, the whole unit you said is 175 so 25 more is 200 so that's one in seven so there there are probably some other positions i would look to eliminate and i would look to consolidate with some thoughtfulness specifically i'd like to bring the office of community corrections in closer articulation with the main facility so that there isn't such a separation of function And right now, I can tell you, those folks don't even know each other, the folks who provide services in the main part of the facility. So let's say we're talking about, you know, mental health and substance abuse treatment folks, or let's say we're talking about the educators. The educators inside the main facility don't work with the folks in community corrections. So wait, so the main facility is the Hampshire County House of Corrections that we're talking about? Yes. Okay. And what is the community, what is the other facility that it's they don't know o- each other. It's an office near, it's across the street from the bowling alley and by okay. the Pleasant Street car wash. Sure. All right. Yeah. There's, there's an office. I know the, count, the, the sheriff's office there. I know that. Yep. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. That's where community corrections is. And the okay. office of civil process is over at the Village Hill, that new development that yep. from the old state hospital. Mm-hmm. So among the things we need to look at very creatively is we need to look at space allocations. We need to look at staffing allocations, whether or not there might be some redundancy of some purposes mm-hmm. uh, and whether or not some folks could uh, be could have certain positions reduced or perhaps eliminated mm-hmm. and um changed over for correctional officers so that they are not so heavily burdened. Right now, um, they have difficulty getting days off in advance. And because of that, they resort to calling out sick at the last minute 
when they call out sick at the last minute, it means somebody from the previous shift gets held over because their yep. contract says that they have mandatory yep. mandatory holdovers if necessary. So I was going to ask you if there was mandatory overtime. Yep. Because that's Correct. usually a real more morale buster when you're it tired and you have to stay anyway. It yeah. absolutely is. Well, how do you plan to do your family activities? What if you have a daycare issue, right? Yeah. Or a child who has to be picked up from school. You always have to have a contingency plan. You have to have other people who can step in and do those services for you because you don't know if you're going to be held over. And it is absolutely a morale buster. It's also sure. a budget buster. Yeah. Because well, overtime. Oh, well, yeah. No, trust me. I've, I've run a business. Yeah, exactly. Overtime, you know, it's great. It's great for the employees' pocketbooks, but, you know. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So what you're saying is uh, your back of the envelope calculation based on your experience having worked there and other, you know, professional right. understanding. So you'd say the office, the Hampshire County Sheriff's Office is about 15% understaffed if that's what it, you need. If you need it, to hire another 25 to make, bring it up to 200. I don't know that I would bring it up to 200. What I'm saying is I would repurpose some positions and reconfigure some positions. I'm thinking 175, honestly, is plenty. I just want them to be serving different functions. And especially 175 staff when there are 125 people in custody. Doesn't that strike you as uh, plenty of staff? It it seems like almost excessive. I don't, I, but would, I, I don't know. One would you know. think, yes, wouldn't one? Well, yeah. I, I would, but at the same time, since the office, since, since it does a lot of different things and is operating right. several different facilities, there's going to be a certain amount of like, well, yeah, but we just need to have somebody, some people Correct. there doing processing and we need to have people driving transportation around. So it's just, just more people. Correct. At some point, there is a critical mass below which you cannot go, right? You're going to need a certain number of people to keep the doors open, and it's going to cost what it costs. Right. So I don't know that the number of staff being increased, I don't see it going up. I see it being reconfigured, is what I'm saying. All right. So, um, So go ahead, Sue. Sorry. I was just going to say, do you know, are there any uh, women correctional officers? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'd like to see more. So, I I really Mm. would like to see more. I think this is absolutely a growth industry for women. And let me tell you why. In a, so the Hampshire County facility is a male only facility, except for any women who might be temporarily held in the regional lockup unit, and that's just pending their next arraignment. And once they're arraigned, then they're going to be transported to the Women's uh, Correctional Center in Chicopee because we don't house women permanently at the Hampshire County Jail. And by the way, uh, a question that I think is worth talking about is whether or not Hampshire County's incarcerated women should come back to Hampshire County because this is a, a hardship on their families in terms of visitation. Many families of people in custody do have transportation difficulties. And if mom is in Chicopee and they are in, you know, Northampton, living in Northampton, that's going to present some difficulties for visitation to see mom. And a main uh, priority that I want to bring back to the Hampshire County Jail is keeping families together during custody. Because when a parent is in custody, the whole family does time. Yes. 
and I care a lot about the school to prison pipeline. One thing we know is that when a child has an incarcerated parent, the likelihood of them falling into that school to prison pipeline is much higher already, much mm. higher. So, um, so is it, sorry, uh, who or, or what group made the policy decision that there would not be women held except very temporarily in Hampshire County correctional facilities, uh, that they would instead be shipped to a different county down to Chicopee. Like, why is that? I mean, is that like a state law or is that yeah. the, the sheriff's decision because he has autonomy? Yeah, at some point, the decision was made to provide a larger women's only center that could be. So here's the good part about the WCC. It is able to be a women's only facility. And in the same way that Smith College is a women's only college and can provide and uh, bring very appropriate services to that population, the thinking was let's concentrate the women in one place and make a women-centered facility. So they given get services. The, given yeah. the, the social scourge of one of the big problems our society has is men being violent at women. And in a correctional facility, I think that would be an especial concern. So I get the logic of saying we're going to segregate or, or separate the sexes, men from women. I get that. But still, is that's not something we could do on a county by county basis, says the Ab guy who doesn't know. <laughs> Ab absolutely. Because in the other county facilities, they do have women and men. They're just in separate areas of the facility. Wait, what they other county facilities do that? Um, so Bristol has women. Uh, Essex has women. Um, uh, in their same facility. I know that sounds weird the way I, I just worded that. Different wings, um, but yeah, right, I get it. Different you know. wings, but in yeah. the facility, right. Technically, Hamden uh, also has both women and men. They're just on two different campuses, right? In it, okay, but, it, but, but Hampshire County does yeah. not. Hampshire County does not. They okay. used to. And, well, they okay, used to. But, but again, so because different counties do it different ways, this isn't right. like a... a this wasn't a, a law that was passed no. by the state legislature. No. This is, I believe, this I believe is the, the sheriffs original, are deciding to do this. I okay. believe the original intention was probably altruistic. I really do. I, was I, I want to I want to hope that the, it was the, the logic for it. Well, I just I stated the logic for it a minute ago. It's obvious why there there's some merit to the idea. Right. But I'm just yeah, again, this is about the execution right. of protecting people as opposed or executing the idea of protecting people as opposed to the idea of protecting people. Keep in mind that in any correctional facility, men and women would not mix. Right. So so uh, and actually, this sort of reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you, because we're sort of looking in part about the effects of sheriffs having a lot of autonomy. Right. Um, so. If the folks at our, our representatives at the state house in Boston decided to pass some laws saying like every county must have a one facility with separate, you know, parts of the building for men and for women and keep them all under one roof to consolidate expenses. And we won't just, you know, we will not fund it unless that's what the, the county sheriffs do. Like, is that something they could legally do? I mean, like they get to pass laws, they get to decide how 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 the budget's spent. 
So is that something they could do and the sheriffs would have to do it? Or would the sheriffs be able to say, nah, I don't think so. And nothing can be done about it. No, the sheriffs still do have to listen to whatever the legislature decides. So if the legislature did decide to do that, then yes, there would have to be compliance. And frankly, I would welcome that um, because I care a lot about women in custody. They get very overall throughout the system. They get many, many fewer resources and services. And I think that is a problem. Um, because as, especially here's what I would say, men, uh, in custody, um, in general terms tend to have children. They are not always in their children's lives, but my experience is that mom is forever. And most of these women in custody do have children And so for every woman in custody, there are probably two or three children dependent on her. So we need to get her the mental health services that she needs. We need to keep her clean and sober. We need to get her good family sustaining wage paying jobs so that she can be the mom to her children. Because again, mom is forever. But when it comes to dad, a lot of these dads are in the wind in their kids' lives. And when dad goes away, mom is still left holding on the outside. Mom is left holding the bag and keeping the family going. Right. And dad may or may not be able to be a support for those children, but mom, mom is forever. And I care about getting those women more services than I've seen them getting. Women comprise generally uh, less than 10% of the overall, overall population in custody. But Here's what's really, really concerning. Right now, the trend is changing and women are becoming incarcerated at, are you ready for this? Double the rate of men. Hmm. Women are getting locked up in greater numbers than ever before. And And that's that's before uh, states start outlawing abortions. So great. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Right. Right. one, what? one I mean, you know, we got to talk about it. Well, politics. Since, <laughs> since you bring it up, my friend, um, people have asked, like, what, you know, relevance does the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade have on a sheriff, a potential sheriff who might be the head of a male only facility? Oh, it's a big one. Pregnancy is the number one likely risk factor for women in uh, domestically violent relationships and unwanted pregnancy is very likely to cause a domestic incident. So I care a lot given the number of men in the Hampshire County facility who are in there for domestic violence, specifically strangulation and suffocation is typically what the charges tend to look like in addition to, you know, battery. Um, it's scary stuff. So there is a connection. Um, one more. I, I, I got one more question, and I, I tr- I'm going to try to ask everybody this. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, making sure that your uh, that incarcerated people have have uh, easy access to voting? And do you have a plan to to um, facilitate that? 
Oh, my friend, you asked me the softball question of all the candidates. I'm the former civics teacher and government teacher. This is something I can do in my sleep. So firstly, just about everybody in pretrial, because they are detainees, unless they are somehow held on the pretrial side while they are still, and, and this can happen, while they are still serving a sentence, um, if they are not guilty of something and serving a sentence, they are eligible to vote. So I will make it a point that they will get voter registration materials and I will make the pitch, not just that they are eligible to vote, but my job is to make them wanna vote and to make them want to understand that this is important and to help them understand the issues, the candidates and why they should care a lot about their ballot. I will tell you my experience inside is that most do wanna vote. They care a lot about that. And yep. those who are serving sentences are pretty angry that they can't while yeah, they're in They are. And so, I think we should change that personally. That's that's my political position on that. But yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I agree also. And I have had experiences where those who cannot vote really try to talk to those who are eligible vote to vote and they persuade them why it's a big deal and they should take it seriously. That's excellent. Mm. All right. I hear the music, so I guess we one to go. Wow, I, <laughs> this went very quickly again. Um, uh, thank you, Yvonne Gittleson. You're running to be uh, Hampshire County Sheriff. You're the current Massachusetts uh, Corrections Program Specialist at the Department of Education here in the state. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for joining us. Been a very interesting conversation. Uh, hopefully, uh, it wasn't too annoying for you. Um, <laughs> not, a, not at all. You are a fun group. But I, I, I hope we got to a bunch of the questions that I know you wanted to ask me. And At least, and, at, at least some, some of them. So some how, them. if people are interested in finding out more about your campaign, I know we're going to throw the link in there, but what's your, what's your campaign website? How do we, uh, how does someone find out more? It's easy. www.yvonneforsheriff.com. And that's Yvonne Y-V-O-N-N-E. Mm -hmm. For Sheriff. For okay. Sheriff. Yvonne for Sheriff. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, good luck in next week's debate. And, thank you for uh, having me. Thank you for being. Thank you for being had. No, wait. Um, yes. Anyway, <laughs> I've enjoyed you're, being you're had. Getting, getting a hole. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm digging it's, up. It's I nice thought. to be had. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for civil politics tonight here on Valley Free Radio. Coming up next, we got subculture, followed by table of contents at ten, and then OK Asia at midnight. Um, we will have a re repeat broadcast Mondays at 4 p.m. Uh, the podcast version of this show will be out to all the streaming services uh, just after midnight on Monday. And, uh, yeah, that'll do it. So thanks for listening. Uh, that's all for now. Good night. Civil Politics is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com.